What's up, Jay Brones? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bass. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something. Let the people know you're alive, pal. Huge thanks to everyone for all of the pre-orders of Torture Act Issue 4. Just want to go ahead at the top of the show and say that the support for this project is... I really appreciate it. It's awesome that we have so many pre-orders for Issue 4 and the collected issue of Torture Act in the first week of pre-sales. And yeah, it's... it's Even just the comments I'm seeing on Instagram of people being like, I just pre-ordered this, which I assume is not everyone who pre-ordered, is just some people <laughs> who are vocal about it. So uh, it's been it's been incredible seeing that, and yeah, the the interest. It's it's been cool. I'm psyched to get this uh, out. Uh, the, as we're recording this, pre-orders will be closed by the time this podcast posts. And for anyone that it has been listening to this that did pre-order it, uh, the the printer will start printing books like next week and then I should have them in hand by mid July and then they'll go out the date I posted should go out July July 20th was like the like safety date could go out before then so that's awesome yeah thanks to everybody for that uh for more information you can follow us on torture racks instagram at torture racked spelled w-r-a-c-k-e-d but if you're on this podcast you probably know we spell it that way john I've never asked you about the name I just always thought it was awesome, but I never asked you about the the jet, like how you came up with it. I knew I wanted to name it after a wrestling move that I liked. Did you know you wanted to name it in the past participle of the wrestling move? No, but I like, but I liked that, that like, I think that, that the name, like it's suggesting that someone was torture. Yeah. Having been torture. Instead of torture. Yeah. Uh huh. I love it. Um, yeah, it it kind of just, uh, perfectly came to me title wise. I, I had finished the issue, the very first issue in the fall of 2018 and was looking at the different articles and kind of like made a list of different um, moves that I, the move move names that I like. And some, my favorite move, my favorite move name is Arihara Moonsault, but that's like a, I don't think that that's a very good (laughs) (laughs) magazine title. Um, I thought it was going to be what your shirt is right now, which is the Gotch style pile driver. I mean, that's a good name. I'd see that name, though. Gotch style like... would be a good... Uh, not as good as Torture Act, but Gotch style would be a cool magazine name. In my mind, though, because it's Suzuki's, like, finisher, and he owns, like... Right. He owns that... I don't know. That, it's not that he owns the name, since it's, like, Carl Gotch descended from him. But, right. like, in present day, in my mind... Because this is a shirt I bought at his store from him. So, I really like... like that kind of tradition like it really feels like especially in japan like wrestlers are and and in north america too but wrestlers are very reverent about moves and about sort of creating their own move and if they want to use someone else's move often it is passed down to them like there's a lineage to it yeah Yeah. like it's not just like oh i like the gotcha so i'm just gonna start doing that like you know what i mean i mean do you think that does happen though like is there is there times when people don't like have a very notable finisher and then someone else starts doing it but using a different name without asking. Does that happen a lot? Yeah, that happened in recent memory. I, who did someone on the NXT roster did that with Taz. And I hadn't really like thought about or heard about Taz prior to like maybe between it, TNA and AEW. This was the one moment I can think of where that happened. I don't remember the Were rest they using of the happened, Taz but, mission? 
Yeah, and Taz posted like you might want to like something like he was seemed to, like he was taking very. <laughs> you might want to ask like, before you use my move, jerk off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like that. That's that's the sentiment was very serious, and he was mad because I know that like might have been. I don't. I don't remember who it was. So I don't know. Because I know that Kevin Owens like asked Stone Cold if he could use the stunner. Right. Yeah. And I love the stunner as like a Kevin Owens move, but also it feels like it can't really be his move. Like it will never be his move as long as Stone Cold like is in like a live. It's too. It's too much of an homage to. I don't. I don't think it will ever be Kevin. Right. Because every time he does it, we can see him impersonating Stone Cold doing it. Right. It doesn't, it's not necessarily like, I think there are instances where it could transition to someone else. I can't, I'm trying to think if there's like someone else, maybe that's like, like made a like, can you think of anyone that has taken on a move and then maybe done it themselves in a way where it's become their own? Like Minoru Suzuki in the gosh style pile driver is what I am thinking of at least, but uh, I, I can't think of another instance of that, like in WWE, maybe. I don't know. I was just like thinking about um, show with his um, the shock arrow, shock arrow, which is basically like kind I of might be wrong, kind but, of a package yeah. pile driver. But then he puts the arms around and grips the arms when he's doing it. Oh yeah. So, uh-huh. so like that's what I thought of. That's what made me think about it. Like, oh, that's like kind of a typical move, but he really made it his own. And now, if someone started doing that without asking him, he'd be pissed. So it's like there, there, there is right. like a real reference. There are different instances, and you have to kind of be creative or take a move. I feel like there's like public domain moves. Like a DDT is like <laughs> in the public domain. So if you you can you can make a DDT your move just by adjusting a little bit, like mocks with the paradigm the draped double yeah double arm draped ddt yeah yeah the one other the one move i could think of actually and i actually was just thinking about this while uh i was watching new japan uh the last ride what is the genesis of that power bomb did undertaker first do it or is that i'm pretty sure that's an undertaker move and they like when they call it previous well certainly it wasn't called the last ride and they identify it as the last ride in new japan i noticed that today when i was watching uh, night six of new japan that's who does the last ride in new japan ibushi and taichi both right and so they call it the last ride i'm like that's a that's the undertaker name there might have been like a raised like someone's done bomb. a raised power bomb but that's that i remember at least from watching my own personal history of watching wrestling the first time i remember seeing that move used was by i remember the undertaker adding it to his move set and it being a big deal well that was his new move when he came back as the american badass right. like he needed a new undertaker. finisher and the last ride was like because he's a biker um yeah so that but that but but that being said so that move the name sometimes takes me out of it when it says that because i've thought every time when ibushi or taichi does that Oh, is that? I wonder if that was Undertaker's move originally. I thought it was. I think what but makes they it both okay have is made it their own, though. But it's like a also. transitional move for them, right? It's not their finishers. Yeah, no, no. Black Mephisto and uh, Kamigoye. Yeah. So if he, if he, if uh, Ibushi used the last ride as his finisher and then pinned him for the three, that would be weird. We'd be like, that's true. Kind of Undertaker, but using it as a transitional move, especially when Taker's not actively using it. Um, but that's interesting. I wonder if they ever. I can't imagine Ibushi like emailing the Undertaker. <laughs> that email would be so funny. 
Uh, would would Undertaker know who Ibushi is? It's like, uh, dear it's Kota, a... who are you? <laughs> but circling back to your original question about the name, I that's what I was thinking. I like that what you said about um, public domain names and just that there are certain moves that are like public domain. And to me, the torture rack was one of those moves. Absolutely, and that was what I was thinking is yeah. like I couldn't name. And I think that's why initially when you said, well, Gotch Style is like a cool name. It is, but it's also someone's finisher. And I didn't want to name it after like an established wrestler's finisher. So then it's like, well, it's Gotch Style. Is this like the Minoru right. Suzuki magazine and you're not going to name something? it like it's Suplex like... Magazine or anything or Powerbomb Magazine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, both of those sound not that. Yeah, that sounds like I, I can imagine that that magazine. That's a very di- We should make a parody magazine called Powerbomb Magazine. <laughs> That's like, it would uh, be like the um, uh, Southpaw Regional Wrestling of this podcast. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like mostly about working out. No. Getting real jacked. No. It's it's wrestling. No. Ob- it's our Wrestling Observer Newsletter parody. Oh, Powerbomb Magazine. Is, Powerbomb Magazine. Yeah. And you're, <laughs> you're Dave Seltzer. And I'm uh, Brian Yelvarez. That's a good parody nickname for Brian Alvarez. That's funny. <laughs> no, Ryan. Ryan Yelvarez. Ryan Yelvarez. Ryan Yelvarez. Minus six stars! <laughs> I would do a better Alvarez, I promise. But yeah, t- titles, I, I feel like, are one of my favorite things to come up with for projects. Like, I'm glad that we have this, the, I came up with this title, and I just finished... One of the other titles that kind of is a recent title for me is a comic that I've been working on uh, called Charlie Cobwebs, where that name kind of just came to me at the end of the project. Also, I think it's weird. It's a funny question. I'm glad that you asked me this now that I'm thinking about it. It's like most of the time I make a, I have a bigger idea for a project. I write the project and then I come up with the name at the end. It's kind of like a final sentence, all encompassing thing. Yeah, I, I just remember thinking like, that's a great name. I remember thinking, like, isn't a torture rack with an R and, like, yeah, the, the and magazines yeah. with a WR? But then the more I thought about it, I was like, that's what's so good about it to me. Because it also, like, brings to mind, like, to me, like, ra- being, like, racked with guilt or something like that. Like Oh, that, the uh-huh. rack. yeah. So, I don't know. I just, um, it's like, like, I'm torture racked with this, with this feeling. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I I love it. I think it's the a perfect name. Um, the only other public domain name I can think of that would be good would be one that definitely exists already, which would just be Pile Driver. Um, but that oh, yeah, also sure. seems like a parody, or like a really yeah. good magazine from the from the eighties. Pile Driver magazine, yeah, that's a, it's it's funny that Pile Driver magazine has such a different tonality than Powerbomb magazine. Yeah, pile driver sounds like tough, but also like very homoerotic. Um, <laughs> power bomb just sounds dumb. Like it sounds like something that would be given away at like a like a bodybuilding competition. <laughs> there was a few things I, I've I've been wanting to talk about for yeah uh, a couple of weeks, and I just keep forgetting. I just wanted to mention this because I thought you would think it was funny, uh, but also sort of interesting. So you might have realized right before AJ Styles won the intercontinental championship tournament uh he moved from raw to smackdown did you know why he moved from raw to smackdown i don't actually and it's funny because you've mentioned a couple times to me that talking about the aj i oh i forgot to talk about the AJ stuff i don't know what you're gonna say so <laughs> i'm not sure no 
I don't know what the, where this is it's going. It's really not a big thing. I just I just thought it was uh, interesting and also funny. So apparently, this is before, obviously, Heyman got fired as the head of creative of Raw. But uh, there was heat between AJ and Paul Heyman because AJ was really mad at Heyman for not doing more to keep the Good Brothers. Oh, Carl yeah. Luke. Uh-huh. So he was apparently right. really, really mad. Um, and, you know, wanted to move to SmackDown as sort of like uh, to... to, to to get away from that environment because you know he really missed his his friends they'd been there for his like friends, the length yeah. of the time that he'd been there <laughs> but also i heard that the raw locker room like sort of teased him a lot for like his beliefs including like aj styles yeah including because he like believes in flat earth that's funny i didn't know that <laughs> you didn't know that yeah he's like a, <laughs> no he's like a flat earther and so like the the i just imagine like him walking through the raw locker room and being like, "Hey AJ, like you think the Earth is flat?" and just kind of like wiping away like a tear from his eye. Um, and the, previously, the Good Brothers had his back. Yeah, exactly. And now there's no one there to. <laughs> the Earth is flat. Leave AJ alone. The Earth's on a disc. We can all see it. Um, I totally wonder if if they had his back or they were just like, "Let's not talk about it." Dude, they definitely had his back. Blue. The Good Brothers, LG and Carl, are were only in WWE because of AJ. Yeah, you're... I mean they're talented, but it like yeah. I I remember reading a bunch of different times about how he was a big part of their coming with him. Uh, and yeah, it sucks that they're gone. Well, I mean, I don't think it sucks that they're gone. Actually, I mean from my perspective, I want to see Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson in all their glory. Like they unleashed like, in the moments that. Yeah, in the moments that they're able to wrestle in WWE, it's always enjoyable to watch. You know you're going to get some sick, like, big man moves from Luke. Carl Anderson always, like, I don't know, he has said, Carl Anderson has such a surprising and unexpected moveset for the type of person, type of wrestler that he is. You assume he's, from the way, if you only knew him through WWE and not through New Japan, you probably would just think he, this is another random like mid card guy. That's it. Like, I keep getting my mind blown by New Japan, like knowing that Carl Anderson was in like the finals of the G one against Okada, right? Yeah, and, it uh-huh. was... and he, play, he played a pretty big role in like the the, uh, the beginning of the Never Open Weight title as well. Like right, uh, and then also uh, Albert, aka Prince Albert. Prince Albert. Uh, what is he, <laughs> is that? What is he in New Japan? He's like, is he like Albert Heavy or something? Uh, I forget. No, isn't he just Mark? Is he just Mark Bloom? No, no, no. He has a, he has a name. But anyway, he, uh, won the New Japan Cup. Right? He won the New Japan Cup and he was in the finals three times. And then he... I didn't, yeah. That's wild. I knew that he wrestled a lot in New Japan, but yeah, I did not. I, like, that's a, that's definitely an era of New Japan that I've not watched enough of to really know, know much of apart from brief things i've read online or like some of the uh videos oh giant bernard giant bernard Bernard i knew it was like i said albert heavy i knew it was something like albert heavy (laughs) but yeah it's the presentation is everything though because he's someone i thought he was funny when i was a little kid as prince albert and well he was named after a cock ring yeah exactly but i didn't know that when i was like 12 (laughs) like my parents didn't explain that to me um they didn't sit you down (laughs) <laughs> no i think maybe they my mom actually did eventually uh, <laughs> <laughs> like not as as i because my, my mom's very funny and uh will say things like off the cuff like that like what you just said uh, we were also so i was like, also saying like how funny it was the other day when we were talking about al snow 
I was listening to it back and we gave no context whatsoever. So if you don't know Al Snow, we were just talking. We were like, you know, Al Snow has, you know, got head in ECW. <laughs> and then he still has head when he moves to WWE. And you always want to see, you know, people still have head. And um, yeah, just without context, that's out of hilarious. context. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, so it's not ex- doesn't, you don't. It doesn't call to mind that like a, he's carrying around a mannequin head and is being booked as this person who like can speak to this inanimate head. Yeah. Same thing with Prince Albert. Like out of context, you know, the out of the world of wrestling, the name means something completely different. I remember not knowing that it meant that necessarily, but knowing that it meant something. I remember being like, like oh, yeah. something is like that. There was something beyond. Yeah, there was some being... meaning to it, and like they were alluding to it, and I felt like maybe it had to do with a dick, but I wasn't sure, and you know, I didn't want to know, to be honest. So now AJ is in Smack the SmackDown locker room. Yes. So hopefully they're nicer. And he's to not him. being teased. I hopefully. have gotten no reports. Um, Ryan Satin hasn't called me yet to let me know anything about that. <laughs> but. You know, he's, just waiting for that phone call. He's the Intercontinental Champion. Maybe, I love that they gave him the that belt. He he's the only one he hasn't gotten. So um, yeah, well, and now Luke Gallows and Anderson. It seems like they're impact bound. Which yeah, they, I actually think I I would watch him. I I will watch. I maybe maybe we should watch Slammiversary. Uh, when is that? That I think it's like I think it's next month. Um, I but yeah, I don't know. I looked at the impact championship match and it was like three people versus mystery opponent and the three people i had no idea who they were and see but like i last year before aew started would watch impact every now and then yeah back when like the lucha bros were on it and santana ortiz right it was good yeah no that's Uh, true and 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 like i just think like and at that time I mean, I knew I I did not know who Santana and Ortiz were at that time. I knew them. I learned who they were through Impact, basically, and then it, it was cool knowing that when they came to AEW, oh, those are the guys that I seen on Impact a couple of times. It's so funny about Santana uh, and Ortiz. I like didn't think they would end up being sort of one of the enhancement talent of the division, but they kind of. Do you think they would be booked stronger? I thought they would like, be like top tier. Yeah, top tier, like in the championship picture, um, but they're just more like. Jericho's goons who like take a lot of losses at the moment. Yeah, I mean the the, the tag division so stacked though with the top of the the top of the division. I agree though with the way that they debuted. They've had a lot of pretty like substantial tag debuts, like Dark Order and Proud and Powerful. Both. I'll catch. It onto I'm going to catch some more heat from you and Thomas from this, but I see Proud and Powerful not even on the rankings, and I'm like, we really have to have QT Marshall and Dustin Rhodes up there we do give qt a shot man i do see well but see and put into that context i you're not going to catch flack for me i am a qt marshall fan now but yeah like that makes absolutely no sense for proud and powerful have they even had a tag title shot yet not that i'm aware of did they because like did we ever see like you know it's weird do we ever see them face like scu i don't think so um maybe like that seems like it would be they might have it on dark, yeah. That just seems like it would be a good match. Yeah. Like Kaz and Scorpio versus PNP. But uh yeah, I, I uh I'm maybe we should look at the Slam anniversary card and consider watching it. Um, yeah, it'll just be depending on like how stacked the week is, I suppose. Yeah, this because if it happens in July, July has been an absolutely stacked month for wrestling. So much stuff 
has happened and so much stuff incoming. GCW, The Backyard, WWE Extreme Rules, The Horror Show. Is that really what it's called? Have you seen that? I have seen that, yeah. Is that is that actually the name? I think all their names or are, are subtitles are just trolling now. So there was like the greatest wrestling match ever was to troll people into watching it. So they would be like, no, it's not. And this is like... Right, the horror show. This is going to be some wild shit. Yeah, Let's like... Check it out. It's, it's sort of... It's, it's some wild stuff right now. You know? A bunch of our roster is sick. But uh, yeah, Dominion's incoming. Like, New Japan Cup Finals. There's so much stuff. And then GCW has some end of the, end of the month uh, homecoming shows. Like... Fighter Fest yeah, Night to- 2. Right. Yeah. So, I guess it'll be... It'll be based on, on that. Uh, because we both watch... A lot of wrestling and watch things apart from wrestling too. Uh, I just finished watching. What did, what did you think of? This is completely not wrestling related. So please, quick uh, sidebar for please our podcast talking films. What did, did you? You I'm sure you see the movie Her Smell? Uh, I did see Her Smell. Yeah, I saw it at. 10. What did you think of that movie? What did I think? Did of you that? like it? I yeah. did like it. I would never. I didn't love it, which is why I'm asking what you think. Sure. I just watched it last night with Siobhan. It's been a while. I saw it uh, at TIFF at the premiere, so I haven't seen it since then. Um, I am a fan of Alex Ross Perry's movies. Um, they mm. are often like very deeply unpleasant in a lot of ways to watch. And huh. they deal with like you know sometimes like mental health and people with personality disorders and stuff like that. So I knew it was going to be unpleasant to watch. It's probably the most unpleasant out of all of them to watch. In fact, I think it is. Um, what's like another i did i what's like another movie of um uh alex ross perry he did he directed uh, queen of earth also with elizabeth moss which is about Mm. a a friend who's gone through a breakup and so she goes to a cottage with her best friend but then her best friend just ends up kind of hooking up with this guy who is also in a cottage and then she kind of loses her mind (laughs) it's like a psychological not quite horror but like a psychological thriller or something like that, but more, yeah, both Elizabeth Moss, who's like one of the best actors. Uh, and then also like listen up Philip with Jason Schwartzman, who's like a deeply unpleasant author. Um, yeah. That description that you gave makes sense. Cause I went in the trailers for that movie, you know, she's covering the only ones, another girl on another planet. I was like, this is going to be a sick yeah. new punk movie like all the like my favorite punk movies like suburbia slc punk repo man oh i, was I going just in uh, thinking, downloaded like, suburbia oh yeah it's good have you have you seen it before i have not i i'm a fan oh, of yeah penelope spheris says work sick yeah yeah that's that's one of my favorites uh sick. but yeah that i went in watch to that movie hope not hoping, but thinking that that's what the movie was going to be. So I, at the end of the movie, I was like, I did not like that movie. But I think because I didn't, I, I wasn't expecting what it was. And I don't think I was in the mindset to watch that last night. A couple movies so, uh, have come out recently. I consider more experiential movies that kind of put you through the ringer. Um, that is probably the one I liked the most uh, in, in that sense. The one I liked the least would be Mother by Darren Aronofsky. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah, I've seen that. That's like an yeah. onslaught movie that kind of devolves into into madness and is often just like yeah. long camera takes that are like hard to watch. and It's just, a, it's unpleasant. Uh, her smell is like that because she like, you know, is, is going through the backstage just kind of like yelling at everyone and just, it's just a cacophony of things happening and none of them are happy. Yeah. Um, and Siobhan loved the movie and it was, we had a, we had a conversation about it last night and just how I, it ended and I felt very like, 
I did not like that at all. It, it's um, basically like a five act movie, and the first three acts are like really hard to watch, and then the fourth mm-hmm. act is like her sort of redemption arc when she's singing the Brian Adams song to her to her daughter, right? Um, and then the last one is like her concert, basically. But mm-hmm. yeah, I I, I might rewatch it. I really liked it. Um, a lot of people who were fans of Alex Ross Perry like really didn't like it at all. So mm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, there's certain movies I would try to convince you on. This would not be one of them because it's like either you can kind of, you can kind of take it or you can't. Right. Cause she is, she is very hard to watch and is like just kind of a raving egomaniac for most of the movie. Totally. Um, but as, as a, as a music movie, I thought I found it very interesting just kind of watching how people collaborate with like difficult artists who are kind of up their up their own ass, like when those... yeah. I feel like I need to rewatch the movie with a new mindset. That's a yeah. That's an interesting point of view too. Like, because I went in expecting like a fun punk rock movie. Yeah. Not, I I think uh, if I was marketing like that bench, movie, like a, I would like... I would also probably have tried to convince you that it wasn't what it was. Certain movies are just hard to advertise. It's yeah, like, totally hard to advertise. Like, come have kind of a bad time at this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you watched anything recently that you're psyched about? That's non-wrestling related? I'll tell you, I watched the Edge documentary uh, on W... Sorry, this is wrestling related, but I was just... This wanted, is wrestling. I wanted <laughs> to like, just... What, I wanted what to is just, this documentary called The Edge? Uh, <laughs> I wanted to drop this in just because I was just uh, talking to my mother and she was like, I watched uh, the documentary about The Edge on WWE and I was like, oh, Edge? And I thought she was talking about the U2 guitarist and... Um, she was like, I really liked it. He seems like a really nice, he's a really good looking boy. And just like, just talked about it. So I immediately just threw it on and watched it. And those, those, um, WWE 24, I think you've said it, but they're like the best thing that has come out of the WWE network. Yeah. 365 and 24 both, I feel like are the best produced WWE content. They're always great to watch. You, it feels like they actually do show vulnerable moments or moments that are real versus things being so um, produced. Uh, oh yeah, it's like you, what do you want to watch the Attitude Era and hear like Bruce Pritchard tell you how that came to be and stuff? Like it's just all going to be <laughs> fucking bullshit. Like it's just all company fucking bullshit. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I have not seen the Edge documentary, but I'll definitely check it out. I do think it's funny. Thomas send us that that they did a 365 with Ricochet. Yes. And I like it's it seems like almost like a kayfabe news. It uh, looked article. like you're like, absolutely what, right. It's like celebrate like, like an amazing year of Ricochet. <laughs> He's, what he teamed with Cedric for Alexander for 2 weeks and then has never been on a pay-per-view <laughs> and he made had some great matches on main event against, you know, like the only thing I could think of that's like, oh, that was like we're gonna think of that like in a couple of years. But is when him and, him and Alistair faced off against War Machine. Imagine, oh my god, like think about all like Alistair, I feel like his But that wasn't even on the main, the main roster. That was on NXT, but all of them, that match, that match was one of my it was my pick, one of my picks for our supercard last yeah, year. It's a, it's a great uh, match. because I loved it so much. And it's just wild to think of like and I love War Machine. War Raiders, Viking Experience, whatever their name is now. <laughs> like I, I loved them prior to their main roster run, and yeah, it's wild to see what they've degenerated to. Uh, and I don't even yeah, want to talk know. about them, uh, but no, Ricochet yeah. and Alistair Black was one of those tag teams that just kind of got thrown together 
that ended. It was seemed up, weird at first, but then it worked. It worked so well. Honestly, I would kind of compare them to Kenny and Hangman in just the terms of like they oh. seem like a like a random thrown together. I think if 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 they had been continued to to let kind of go wild, like they could have been great in the tag team division. That's a dream match that I had not thought of. That would be absolutely insane. You know, it's, Alistair Black and Ricochet versus Hangman and Kenny. You know what's funny is that if you looked at the WWE tag team like champions over the last year, you would be convinced that it was an amazing year for tag team in WWE because you have like the like the Good Brothers or the OC, uh, the Revival, New Day, Usos. A lot of great teams. But none of them had a substantial reign, and they just hot-shotted the belts back and forth. And OC and Revival were basically used interchangeably. Right. And now, like, FTR is ripping it up in AEW. And like you said, Good Brothers are probably going to go to Impact and be absolutely unleashed. And, yeah, I, it's just crazy how much of an afterthought the tag team division is in WWE. Well, and it's all about presentation, and I feel like AEW's done a really good job of... Yeah positioning and presenting different people over the years over the years over the last year uh that they brought in different people it's been cool to see them present people in different ways kind of like change gears or sort of, sort of shift directions like i'm being the elite this week uh bro i am I, a thousand percent sold on dark order now. i know isn't Brody it so Lee, funny I can't believe this. Yeah, if you go back, I'd be interested to hear. I mean, I kind of know the general gist of what we said in the first episode on Dark Order and how we were not, we both were not stoked on Brody versus Mox. Honestly, these episodes the have... We love the match. Yes, yes. These episodes uh, have aged terribly because all of the things <laughs> we've complained about have been fixed. Like, we were complaining about Taz not yelling in the, who can stop the path oh, of the cage? He, and then they re-recorded right. it. <laughs> Can we get the analytics on this podcast and see if any of them are coming from Daily Plaza? Because I think Tony Khan has got his hands on it and is listening to us. Exactly. He heard your impression of Taz yelling, who can stop the path of Cage? And was like, that guy sounds more like Taz than Taz sounds like Taz. And uh, they did contact me. We're like, do you want to come play Taz the way that they had the fake Razor Ramon <laughs> in WWE? But yeah, the Edge documentary is really cool. Uh, I realized that I kind of... Um, disliked edge um not having seen kind of his solo run like i knew edge from edge and christian like they were always the heel tag teams i didn't want to see wind versus the hardys and the dudleys even though obviously like they were very talented and edge would do sick like spears off the ladder and stuff like that but also like the edge lita angle like and sort of matt hardy as the, as the odd man out and that and them using their relationship as like a storyline i was thought like wow edge is like kind of an asshole and then i in order to like round out my thoughts about that i went and read like lita talking about the whole their like affair and stuff and like how bad how terrible they felt and how like how it happened and it just made me have a lot more like sympathy for for edge and his relationship with um Beth Phoenix is like the cornerstone of, of the dock and they just seem to love each other so much and it's so cool watching them work out together and stuff so 
basically what happened is Edge obviously retired and then he started to get into acting a little bit just sort of by chance and started working for like Vikings, a show that was shot in Nova Scotia. And he started doing his fight scenes and he was like taking bumps and never really thought about it, but was very physical. And then he was riding with um, Seamus on like Seamus's workout YouTube show or whatever. He crashed his bike and the first thing he realized was that his neck didn't hurt. And so he just like kind of went and got checked up and everything. And he just, his doctor was like, hey, you don't have an 18 year old's neck, but everything's good. There's no pressure on the spine. And that's sort of when he got the inkling, holy shit, I could, I could get back in the ring again. So he went and talked to the WWE doctor who said he would never wrestle again, called Beth Phoenix and was like, I'm cleared. And so... What was really cool is that because he was kind of, he needed to train, but he didn't want to go to the performance center. Like it would just kind of be too much pressure. They sent him a ring to his house. And Whoa. the first person like to put it in his backyard. <laughs> it's like a garage basically. Um, yeah. So the first thing that he, the first person that he wrestled with was Beth Phoenix because, wow. because they were just, you know, doing stuff together. And it was just like really, well, and she's done some spots in like the rumble, like the women's rumble, like she's wrestled here and there still. Uh, so it makes, it's cool. To, it's cool to, that's a cool visual. Yeah. I gotta watch this. It it's really great. cool. And she can take bumps too. And she can like lift him up. She's not like a frail person. Yeah. She's um, like Xena warrior princess. Yeah. She's uh, freaking awesome. So it's really cool. But then the, the second person that he wrestles with is, I don't want to get this wrong, but Dax Harwood. Oh, I, I, I don't, if you showed me pictures of the revival right now, I couldn't name, I don't know which is which. Yeah. 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 Still. Um, it's prior to the name, their name change and their, with their name change. I don't know if it's like Cash Wheeler, Dax Harwood. They sound like interchangeable yeah. Yeah. like names. I, I want to just figure out what his actual name is. Uh, Dash Wilder. So he uh, okay. is the one who is usually has the hair. And the other guy doesn't. Mm-hmm. He's like the bald guy who kind of looks like a good brother. Not him. The redhead. So apparently Edge gave him one of his first big breaks in like the industry. And they're like wow. just like really yeah. tight. And so he was the first person that they let into the compound to like wrestle with him. And you get to see them wrestling together in the ring. And it's fucking awesome. Well, and who better to like wrestle a person who's trying to come back who needs to be worked safely than the revival. Exactly. Like- yeah. Not, nothing is going to happen to you in the hands of the revival. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's really cool. The quality of those documentaries is mind blowing that they're so good. And it, I, it's weird. Like NXT uses a lot of that stuff in the builds to their shows, but I feel like WWE does not use a lot of that kind of stuff to the builds to their shows. And as a viewer, I feel like I would be more prone to watch WWE if, that, those kinds of things were incorporated into just the regular show. Yeah, I don't know why they can't use more real stuff. Like, why can't they let people be real? Why do they have to make them into these characters that we don't like, like Roman Reigns, when we would like Roman Reigns if he was just himself? Like, everyone yeah, says Yeah, real that. person seems awesome. He seems yeah. friggin' awesome. Like, he doesn't walk around going suffering succotash. You know what I mean? <laughs> he wouldn't say that. Yeah. But yeah, no, I 100% agree. Should we move into... Uh, AW? Dude, yeah, this is a great week. Personally, for me, for AW, I watched... This is the first week in a while where I watched, like, all of the content that they produced just because it was a pay-per-view week. So, went out of the way to watch Being the Elite. I watched AW Dark again. And then just the Build to Fighter Fest, the Road to Fighter Fest videos. Oh, wow. Being the Elite, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier with Brody Lee, like, 
I am so sold on him. He has a bit I, for anyone listening that might not have seen that episode yet. Go back and watch the this week's episode of Being the Elite. There's a moment with him and Hangman where Hangman walks up to him back to Brody backstage and says, "Hey Brody, I I don't know what's going on. I never got a reply back. I sent an email to join the Dark Order and didn't hear anything." And then Brody like looks visibly like stressed. Like, what do you mean you emailed us? And, and then he was like, well, we still have spots. You know, you could come and be a part of the Dark Order. Like, we're, we're, we're still accepting applications. We'd love to have you. And then Hangman's like, no, no, I'm in a much better place now. Like, I'm tag champ. Things are going. Things are on the upswing for me right now. No, thanks, man. But good luck with your cult. Like, I'll see you later. Like, <laughs> and then Brody just furiously, like, stomps through the backstage area finds the dark order like underlings hits them all with papers is screaming in their faces like Just throws a huge wad of emails at them printed off emails yeah printed off emails like he's screaming about forty thousand emails he's like screaming are you fucking kidding me do you like fucking cowboy shit like it's it's it made me laugh so hard and like i rewatched it a couple times just because it's so funny and it's so cool to see like yeah, it's just like, I don't know, like, I I love talking about the things we like and dislike about um, wrestling. We love wrestling so much, and it's fun to critique things. So it's been interesting to see how those that character has shifted from when he first came in off of the heels of WWE doing a Vince McMahon parody to now becoming this, like, funny but serious boss who doesn't have, he, like, his loss to Mox, I feel like is being, it's we're, we're, Brody's character is built being built right now has lost to Mox. The fact that like he's getting all these emails, but all of his, the underlings clearly aren't screening the emails. There's too many of them. And now this character is being built where he's trying to hold everything together, but he's not holding everything together. And he's supposed to be the leader, but he's not necessarily winning, but then he is starting to help some people win. So there's like this, like, sort of dichotomy that's happening with his character that I really, really, really love. They finally have found a good balance. I think that's what it was, is that there was too much of him just yelling at people at first and then no wins and no, like, nice moments where you'd see why you'd be persuaded by him. It was just him as a dick yelling at people for sneezing. And then doing Vince McMahon parody. And then just lose. And then they all just lose. Um, but it's it's really starting to work now that they're winning, now that you're starting to see more of the recruitment on the side, like the Colt Cabana thing sort of uh, slowly happening. But also just like when someone wins and he just comes out and just stares at them and just nods. Like it's yeah, really, really effective. And, and they're all standing at the uh, entranceway watching the win happen. Like, Well, just the intimidation really cool. factor of like them coming out and just watching the match sometime. Just Brody and like four members of the Dark Order in masks just standing there reminds me so much of Trump just looming behind Hillary <laughs> Clinton during the debates. Yeah, that's a good comparison. But yeah, uh, and overall, yeah, I, I'm glad that I watched Being Elite this week. Makes me, I regularly watch it for a while and then kind of stopped watching it. Uh, but definitely going to keep tuning in for the Dark Order bits for sure. And Dark, AW Dark this week, I feel like was the most, in recent weeks, there have been some. Uh, story progression on dark griff garrison fake jungle boy fought uh ricky starks <laughs> scorpio sky fought brady pierce the dude with the gold boots there's the tag match uh but the, the, overall really the the two things that uh i felt were worth watching on dark were butcher and blade versus lowrider and fuego del sol taz throughout that is just like hyping up 
Butcher and Blade throughout the entire thing. Like, it sounds like Taz hangs out with the Butcher and Blade. He's like, as their pyro is going off, he's screaming, yeah, blow that pyro off. Yeah, blow that pyro off! (laughs) And then he's like, he's like, he's talking through their whole entrance. He has really weird phrasing sometimes. Like, did he actually say blow that pyro off? Yeah, he said blow the pyro off. He also said, yeah, man, we sit around and drink beers. (laughs) Just wearing tank tops at Morton Steakhouse together. I love these guys. Just and like, like dude, like... dude guy stuff. Like body guy stuff. <laughs> I love when he was doing the cutting the, the... I can't believe he actually said that. What you just he said. He did that, say that. That's, He's like, we sit right yeah, drinking whey beef. protein powder. Um, <laughs> he on... Not to jump ahead to Dynamite, but on Dynamite... Or on Fighter Fest, talking about Mox, he was like... If you would come here, Mox, you know you would have been tested regularly because we don't run a sloppy shop. <laughs> Who says sloppy shop? Yeah, his phrasing, it's so funny. It's like sometimes. he sort of like, remembers what he's supposed to say, that. but he's like like sloppy ship or something like that, but he says sloppy shop. Yeah, totally. It's like almost there. Um Yeah, Fighter Fest this week, I like, you know, for how I liked Fighter Fest, but for how good Dynamite has been over the last two weeks, from top to bottom, I actually think I liked last week's episode more than this week's episode of uh, Dynamite, well, Fighter Fest, whatever you want to call it. Um, Which, in the Dynamite world, is like a solid B+. Still good, yeah, I still really enjoyed it. Just like, and it really started off with a bang. Oh my god, dude, at this, so in usually while, while, um, Siobhan and I are always in the same room when I'm watching wrestling because we have like, you know, one big TV in the living room and both of us are like working on uh, the, the big like uh, dinner table that we have. Yes. Uh, and so she she and she knows a lot of the people that are in AEW now. OK, and who Jericho, does she like? Uh, who are her favorites? Who does she not like? Her absolute. I, I you know, her absolute favorite is Tony Schiavone. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say. What? <laughs> Because of his cool head, or because he's because cool, of his cool tones, uh, or she likes his 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 are they aren't they I, fucking relationship with Britt Baker? No, well, because he was like super. He's because I think just because he seems like such a genuinely super nice dude. Like she was like she noticed him at um, when we went to Dynamite in Kansas City in February. Yeah, and she and he he sent someone. He, someone had a Tony Schiavone sign next to us like for Tony and Tony Shivani noticed it. And he sent a PA over to that guy. The guy asked him for the sign and we had thought the guy's sign got taken away. And then the guy came back and was like, Hey, Tony saw your sign and he wanted to sign this oh. for you. And then he was just like, and he wants to know if you want a picture with it. Oh my and God. then what like they sweetie. went over and they took a picture together. And then the guys came, they were two like huge dudes too. Like really big, like maybe like 40 year old. They got signs like, like hey, we love Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep basically. calling it Tony. You know those move names. <laughs> but like, I think that moment, like seeing how genuine, and then just like, and that night was the night that uh, gave us that great moment between Tony Schiavone and Orange Cassidy and the best friends, where Tony Schiavone is doing the Orange Cassidy thumbs up with the sunglasses, Orange Cassidy right. sunglasses on. Yes, um, Siobhan liked But that. anyways, because you can't hear uh, the commentary when you're at the live show. So she didn't no, like, like his like calls that. Or And then just from watching it, I think just likes seeing him and that. But I love that. Uh, then Jericho came out and uh, what did I? Oh, I wrote down what she said. I like Jericho. He's ve- oh, he's very he's very Don Cherry in that suit. Yes, that was he's got, definitely he's a good nod. On, he's yeah, totally. And like that's mentioned later. But and I was like, Siobhan, they just mentioned that that was 
a reference to Don Cherry, who I only know who that is because of Siobhan, because, you know, you're both Canadian. Um, but yeah, I, I will say like that hit probably Tony Schiavone and Jericho are the two that I think like get pointed out the most by Siobhan. That's hilarious. Like, now, who, do like, they know, who does who does she not like? Because I know there's Matt some... Hardy. She fucking hates <laughs> like <laughs> which version? Uh, <laughs> I think all. She's like, oh, there's that guy with the hair again. I don't like him. Uh, yeah, I, I oh, Jungle Boy is one of her other favorites. Uh, yeah, it's funny. It's interesting just having having someone that's familiar with wrestling, the wrestlers, but then has no interest in actually like goes to the shows and like talks to me about wrestling, but has no interest in actually like becoming a wrestling fan. Cause she's just not into like sports really. Um, but yeah, she, she's jungle boy is someone that she constantly points it to. And I think because she loves movies and films likes that that's like Luke Perry's son is out there fighting his heart out. And that match was my favorite match of the night. MJF and Wardlow versus Jurassic Express. AKA, One of my favorite matches of the year. AKA MJF and Wardlow versus Dino Douche and Jungle Jabroni, according to MJF, <laughs> which I love. Is that what he called them? He called Dude, them Dino MJF Douche and Jungle out, Jabroni, yeah. Pointing out the uh, ratings war, too. That was cool. Like, his promo at the start was really great. I mean, MJF is just... He's like Jericho or Cody. It's just like, give him a mic, basically. Well, it, and I think that's like the thing with AEW too. It's like, it feels like he could say anything he wants. Hmm. There's an, even if that, that was approved to be said, and I'm sure it was cause it was on TNT. You just feel like with the way, the energy that they've set up with everyone, you know that everyone is like pitching their own ideas. We know that as a fact. Hmm. So it kind of feels like it really feels their promos really feel very real. Um, and yeah, just the chemistry between the four of them is insane. It's cool to see like Wardlow and Luchasaurus had such a sick lumberjack match last week that was just an insane spot fest and Jungle Boy and MJF had that great like just straight wrestling match at uh Double or Nothing. Yeah, one of the matches of the night. Of a very strong night. Yeah, and then they come together. Yeah, on the night that Stadium Stampede happened. Um they come together and the, it was just cool to see the history that they're building. Like there's these meaningful feuds that have happened outside of this tag match. And then these people come together that are solid tag teams and then, you know, create this insane match. With it's just funny because so it's usually the opposite. Spots. It's usually like two people are going to have a singles match, two, two separate singles match. So they throw them together before like a pay-per-view and just give out on like in a meaningless way yes yeah totally yeah it's like you guys are feuding together we need to fill time and you need to be featured on the show so let's put you all in a tag match together whatever yeah but yeah with this it's like it feels like we'll see uh, jungle boy and mjf in an aew title feud in the future totally potentially i you know i hadn't thought about this but uh well this is jumping over sheeta and p ford for a second but uh Cody versus Hager, do you think, what if MJF takes the title off of Cody? I think that makes perfect sense. I think... I hadn't really considered it. Who do you think takes it off of him? I think that that's... That would be a great... Just for MJF to building his heel character. He gets that title and then just constantly makes fun of Cody that he has the title, that the only title that Cody can win. I mean, yeah, that would be great booking. I can't think of anyone I'd rather take it off Cody to be honest and yeah. I just love how AEW always has like several fuse going on between each wrestler 
like Cody's kind of part of the elite that's feuding with like Jericho and and them, although he's kind of almost like a tertiary part, like he's not there all the time. Um, and like somebody said, seems like he might be starting a faction with Hangman and FTR. Oh yeah, I suggested yeah. that, which I think would be sick. Just like a week ago, FTR was like chastising Kangman, telling him to get it together. This week, the positioning of like all of them together, like it just seems... And they're all just kind of like seems... classic wrestlers. They're not like spot fests or anything like that. Yeah, you could drop them into like a like late 80s promotion. NWA card and they would be perfect, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, what, what did you think of Cody versus Hager? Um, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a, a good match. I liked that Jericho said about Arn Anderson that he has the heart of a dragon inside of him. Um, oh yeah. Uh huh. But I have I have almost no notes from this match. Um, other than just on the on the ending, which it it feels like. And we've been saying it a lot. Most of Cody's matches have been overbooked. Can't he just have a match where it's just wrestling? That I mean, I know an, he's that doing that with ending. the, the TNT, He's doing that with the TNT matches weekly, I guess, right? Like Ricky, the Ricky Starks match was just a wrestling match. I think the Jungle Boy uh, won as well, but then he obviously he did a lot of blading on that. Yes, which that's that's fine. Whatever. It's been yeah, more like I his just, match. Oh, the outside interference. Yes, with, stuff was is the like match with Archer, um, Arn interfering, Arn again, like distracted. I think the ref or Hager at one point unprompted. Yeah. At that moment. Yeah. Um, and then I, I felt like in this match too, there aren't is yelling ringside in the way that like, a, I mean, maybe this is Cody's slow transition into a heel. That was the thought that I had. It's like, I'm viewing, I'm still viewing Cody as like a face. He has Art Anderson by his side, the nightmare family, 30 to 40 members bigger than the dark order. All of them seem to be faces. So, like, I don't know, just not that everything needs to be so cut and dry, like, they're, that's a good guy, that's a bad guy, but, like, yeah, just, I don't know, I love I love Cody's matches, I just don't love all the outside interference. Same thing, it, his, uh, the first TNT title match with Archer, like you said, and I mentioned, I might have mentioned this in another podcast, but yeah, just like going back to, like, his episode, or his uh, match with Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom, that was the first match, that match sold me on Cody as a fan, like, I was like, oh, I, I have liked Cody. Now I love Cody. Like, I love Cody. And I think that was in the wake of his... Might have been in the wake of his match against Dalton Castle, where he first dyed his hair blonde, which I also really liked. And then that kind of, like, solidified, like, him as a performer for me, I think. Could be... There might be a year between those things. But um, those two moments, at least, were moments where I was like, wow, I love this guy. I love his matches. They were by, I like that within these cards that are heavy spot fests that like Osprey and the Bucks were on and Hangman's jumping out doing moonsaults off of balconies and Hammerstein Ballroom. You have Cody who's working these slow psychological plotting matches and like that match with Dalton Castle had blood in it uh, in Ring of Honor, but not a lot of, Brandy was the only outside interference and I feel like that that's, that to me is like the Brandy was the only outside interference? Yeah, in that match. Uh, I might, I mean, Someone might correct me. This was through three years ago, I think, or two years ago. But Oh, I just uh, mean to say we're, we're talking about how there's always interference on his side. And you're saying, oh, the only one who interfered was like his wife. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, but see that in those spots, though, like 
that was like when Cody was working as a heel and him and Brandy would do these great. Right. I don't, maybe you not, I don't think they, he's done this in AEW. He definitely hasn't, but there's been a lot of great moments where like him and Brandy will do like push ups ringside or jumping jacks and kind of go back and forth and do these, I don't know, really like solid heel tactics that feel more a part of the match and less distracting than much of what happens in Cody's match. Right. Well, I, I've said it before, but I really feel like your white meat baby faces as champions has an expiration date on like how how long that's going to be cool. So I think it's it is smart to start to build an eventual heel turn for Cody. Um, although probably has to happen after he fights MJF and loses the title. If if we did in fact want MJF to take the title off of him, because MJF is oh, obviously going to be yeah. the, detest- the detestable heel on that, in that case. But but maybe he does a rock transition and becomes like a babyface. MJF does like a rock like transition where he is a heel that people love. I can't see it. He's just too he's just too detestable. I can see it. Well, considering everything that we talk about on this podcast comes true, maybe it will. Uh, Sheeta versus Penelope Ford, great title match. Uh, yeah, just solid, solid spots throughout it. Endless, like Sheeta bringing that John Moxley energy. You pointed that out uh, when she was brawling with Penelope ringside, and since then I've definitely latched on to the comparison. Well, it was just I the way totally that agree. she like got the quick win on the jobber, just got the Falcon Arrow in, and then just ran out of the ring and just started brawling with Sheeta, or sorry, brawling with uh, Penelope, and then decking out. Kip Sabian with a punch. Um, here, excellent she, booking. She yeah. goes for that quick win again. Like she goes right up for the for the knee and the Falcon Arrow. Uh, she doesn't get the Falcon Arrow obviously at the beginning, but uh, it almost seemed like that might happen. I was thinking, oh my god, is she gonna squash Penelope? I thought right that now? that was gonna happen too. Yeah, like right when she went up for that, and I like that throughout the match a couple times she went for that. That's very. I feel like that's a very. Um, New Japan, obviously, maybe just uh, pro wrestle like Japan style of wrestling. That kind of like the like tease of the finisher is not something that I feel like we see a lot in like uh, in um, in most wrestling promotions. Except in my in, at least in my own personal viewing in New Japan is where I see that most. Where it's like you get these teases of a finisher, people are going for it, and I like that psychologically. Like. Just makes it. I feel like it makes the match. It makes it seem more like a fight where it's like, oh, okay, and it makes the finishers seem like they mean more. Like, okay, if I get the finisher and I hit this finisher, I'll win and I'll retain my title. And if I can hit that sooner, that's the feeling all the time. It's like, why don't they just do their finishers like right at the beginning? But you have to. That's why I like finishers that take a little bit of maneuvering, because it makes it more realistic that they wouldn't just. Why wouldn't you just go for the DDT like right away if you could do a DDT? Sure. Like, but I love the idea of like putting uh, Kenny putting them up for the one winged angel, which requires like sort of a, a manipulation that you could only do when someone was really exhausted, like fatigued. Yeah, 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 yeah. Their spirit meter needs to be down. And you need to throw down some taunts. <laughs> dig, dig, before... diggity, dig, diggity, dog, Socko. Before you could throw that down. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that match was great. I'm glad Sheeta retained. I hope that Sheeta goes on like a super long dominant reign. Yes. Uh, I there was one with the title. moment that I loved where um, uh, Sheeta went for a drop kick off the top ropes and Penelope like did like a matrix bend to avoid it. Oh, I love when she does stuff like that. Yeah, that was super cool. Yeah, and yeah, just in terms of Sheeta, I just wanted to say like, um, I know Vince McMahon a lot of times didn't want to push, you know 
wrestlers who didn't speak English or who didn't have a great grasp of English. So it's really cool seeing uh, Sheeta sort of running this division as she's sort of learning English. And because they actually mention it on commentary, they're like, Sheeta's still learning English and stuff. And that's cool to see. But I think giving her that kind of that uh, Moxley energy is a good way to kind of broaden her character a little bit more and like give us something more to more to connect to other than her dressing like a badass and being a badass wrestler and having a badass wrestling theme which is a very good basis enough almost almost yeah yeah Yeah, well just booking that intensity like you're drawn to her intensity and it's it's really cool to see uh yeah interested to see like i don't i don't imagine Britt baker taking it off her anytime soon i mean i know Britt baker's hurt but even if she wasn't hurt like it just seems like Britt baker is in my mind the only other person right now maybe in the women's division that's been booked in a way or that's been featured heavily in a way that she would chase the title if she was not injured yeah totally um yeah when she comes back it's like it's gonna be it's gonna be big Dude, and the the the, the Fighter Fest closed out with two different tag matches. I thought that was an interesting way to stagger the uh, the event. Uh, it seems like I didn't think about uh, that. Yeah, like P- uh, Proud and Powerful versus Private Party. Cool that they all uh, worked or cut, came from the same uh, wrestling school. It was mentioned that uh, Proud and Powerful Santana and Ortiz were like the seniors as Private Party were coming in as new recruits and you could see them working really well together that's a, that's a good point they all brought, brought a lot of intensity a lot of like very a lot of big seamless moves that just flowed through the whole match in a really cool way and to your point both of these teams should have title shots before should have a second title shot before the natural nightmares have <laughs> um a title shot. private party they're doing a slow build on them they're sort of slowly building a faction with matt hardy uh, I think Sammy Guevara was also going to be part of that before um, he was suspended. Um, th- right. This was probably my second favorite match of the night. Actually, it was definitely my second favorite match of the night. Um, there was a tornado over the top rope from Isaiah where he just spinned around that I had never seen That was before. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Ban- Bandito. The only other person I've seen do that um, is Bandito, uh, Ring of Honor wrestler. And yeah, it's very, very, very sick move. He, yeah, he did a, quite a few moves where I was like, damn, that's I'm not really seeing many people do that. There was like a really huge avalanche lager bomb in that match, too. That was like so huge and so cool. Uh, and yeah, just just a fun exhibition tag match between the two of them that now uh, will go on to challenge next week, right? The winners? Yeah, um, that I think was booked because Moxley and cage has to be two weeks because of COVID. that's right yeah. yeah if it happens at all it's just there there has to be that two-week period where you figure out if moxley actually has covid because there can be right. negative tests and within two weeks like they'll know for certain um so yes it will be private party versus hangman and kenny i honestly thought that the best friends were going to take it off the champs tonight i was going into that with so much hope i wanted to see best friends with the tag titles and just like and they got like a WrestleMania style entrance. Trent's mom out of all of the driving two meters to the guardrail and then stopping entrances that have happened over the past uh, <laughs> couple of weeks in AW. This is a hundred percent the best one. Yeah, by a far margin. Totally. Trent's Trent's uh, mom drops them off in a minivan. They get out <laughs> mean mugging it. Just both of them mean mugging it. Then Trent's mom is like. 
Trent, I want to give you a kiss. And then he's still mean mugging it as his mom gives him a kiss. But then when she kisses him, he starts to smile and then goes back to, to mean mugging it. Like he can't, he can't keep that thing. <laughs> it's actually Trent's mom. I saw a picture of them right before the spot. The three of them. It was the most adorable thing. Did, did you see uh, Chuck, Chucky T on Twitter posted a, a text from his mom? No. What did it say? And his mom... His mom texted him after the match and said, "What the fuck? I can drive." Exclamation <laughs> points. <laughs> I imagine just Trent had the idea, so he had the ownership over it. Yeah, probably. Well, it, I'm I don't remember enough to really expand on this, apart from the fact that I know I'm pretty sure one of their moms was incorporated into uh, uh, a New Japan mat, a New Japan angle where they were fu- feuding with each other. Trent and Chucky. <laughs> T were like fighting with each other. It might have been, I don't know if it's at Corican, where it happened, but it was one of the um, venues that has a lot of bleachers, and they kept, Kevin Kelly kept mentioning one of their moms was up in the bleachers. Maybe that was eventually Chucky they, like, T's mom, and then they had to kind of give the parody. Back, back and forth. Yeah. yeah. That yeah. seems fair uh, to me. But yeah, this, this match should have been, I, I wanted Best Friends to win, and I feel like it would have made, that's what would have made this feel more like a big di- like pay-per-view, yes. like Fighter Fest pay-per-view like we get crowning of new tag champs with the best friends and then they come along with orange cassidy next week with his big match cassidy is flanked with the new tag champs yeah and, and jericho's you know hager's been suspended for punching the ref so he can't be ringside sammy is suspended so jericho kind of would be outnumbered in that respect also yeah um, it seems like um Best Friends and Orange Cassidy have the most crossover appeal. Um, yes, absolutely. They totally do. Yeah, yeah. Just, um, just bring people over into wrestling who maybe don't watch it. Like Orange Cassidy. Like, yeah. He was on the front page of Reddit, like we mentioned before. Yeah, I overall, I really, I enjoyed watching the match and it felt like a... I think if I wasn't viewing it through this as Fighter Fest, I would have like really, really liked this match. Uh, but because I was viewing it through Fighter Fest, I was like, "Oh, this is going to be a big moment for best friends." But then it turns out that Kenny and Hangman retain. They're going to retain. I don't think they're like if best friends didn't win it this week, they're not going to lose it next week. The pri- private party won that match, right? Is that who's fighting Hangman and? Yes, private party did best friends. Although I think that might be an interesting moment if they did win it would be a huge win for uh private party who have been slowly being built um and also matt hardy is managing uh private party and matt hardy is you know involved with the elite so that might cause an interesting fracture and give again another moment for a reason for hangman and kenny to break up which seems like it's it's on the horizon now that FTR is like looming over Ken, uh, Hangman's matches, it's only a matter of time before they break up. So having Matt Hardy be part of that split might be interesting. That upset might be interesting as well. Just thinking about going back to the initial tag team tournament, the first match, Private Party won. They beat the Bucks. Right. So just in terms of like long-term story implications with surprise upsets, it would be like they have proved. Private Party has proved once so far that they, in big matches, can pull out a win if they have to. Totally. 
despite maybe not being booked that strong and maybe not getting a lot of matches. Uh, yeah, maybe that's what will happen. That I mean, that would be cool too. Uh, I, I, I would mean, love I just to really see, wanted to see with best else. friends with the titles. Yes, I think that that would be the next best thing. There's just too many tag teams right now for us two singles competitors who are justifiably a good tag team together uh, to continue to hold it. Like Kenny should be right. They got to get those belts on Librarian and Brandon Cutler. Please, a true tag team in John's eyes. Exactly. So yeah, Fighter Fest uh, night two. We're looking forward to it. Looks like a pretty stacked night. Looks like the main event is going to be Jericho Cassidy. Yeah, it should be good. I'm really excited for it. Uh, can't wait to see that match. I think Orange Cassidy pulls out a win. So we have watched New Japan Cup nights five and six, aka the quarterfinals of the New Japan Cup. So after this, we know who is going to be the final eight, eight going into the yeah. semifinals. Yes, because eight four matches, so eight people. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah, the first match was an absolute banger from night five taiji ishimori versus yoshinobu kanemura uh i gave this a b it was my least favorite you gave it an a can you explain to me why you thought this match was so good so it's that match to me is like a good example of why everything converges in new japan to just create this like perfect moment of professional wrestling ishimori and kanemaru have a big history together kevin kelly talks about this on the commentary uh kanemaru's beat ishimori 11 times in pro wrestling Noah and in new Japan, Kenemaro defeated Ishimori twice. So like the deck, the deck is absolutely stacked against Ishimori. And you have this convergence also of two heels going against each other, but that doesn't matter. Like, and I think that that's such a cool thing in new Japan where it's like, you get these moments. Like I mentioned to you, one of my favorite matches from, the 2018 G1 was Naito versus Tamatanga. And in that, that's not a notable match. You, But I, from my perspective as a viewer, LIJ was the only faction that was prepared for Bullet Club. So the first clean three count win was Naito on Tamatanga because LIJ was there to deflect all of the Bullet Club people interfering. And here, Kanemaru is trying to do his heel tactics, like this uh, Centauri Surprise where he spits whiskey in his opponent's faces. But Ishimori knows that that's coming because they've wrestled so much and because he's a heel too. So they have the same psychological mindset for a match. So you have the, and then you have Ishimori who's like slightly smaller and fast. So he's like the scrappy underdog versus this person who's been dominating him across wrestling promotions. Right. He's never beaten Kanemaru ever, right? Right. And Kanemaru has the upper hand, like, for a lot of the match in classic like heel New Japan fashion. It's like throwing him around. And then it turns though, because Kenemaru has the upper hand, Ishimori is staggered, goes for the Centauri surprise, but then Ishimori covers his mouth, pins him down, and makes him drink all of that whiskey. To which Kevin Kelly then is like, Oh, I that's like would be a lot of whiskey. He put a he just drank a lot of that whiskey and he just had to drink all of it and he's in a match. He looks fucked up right afterward. Yeah, and then just like right after that, Ishimori hits a double knee to Kanemaru's face, and like I, it just and and then it just keeps building and building, and then there's this incredible string of fast-paced moves from Ishimori with a jumping knee strike followed by a tombstone double knee, but then Kanemaru kicks out of that, but then Ishimori hits the bloody cross for the three count, and he wins and finally beats Kanemaru 
after all of these years of wrestling each other, there's this big moment in the New Japan Cup. Ishimori typically doesn't get these big single spots, these featured moments like this. Right. And then he finally did he he did get this featured moment and he won and now gets to go on to face Okada, right? So now he's going to have him and Okada are going to put on it. That match is going to be fucking insane. Um I cannot So wait yeah, for that. I don't know that 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 match was my favorite match. One of my favorite matches of both night five and night six. Favorite quarterfinal match, I would say. I think I'm gonna go um, back and watch it. You've made me you've made me want to watch it again. I think it's the thing with New Japan is like the with um uh, a lot of like WWE, it's a cliche at this point that commentary doesn't really matter. Like you don't need to listen to it. Like it, it doesn't add a lot to the match. Occasionally we'll add some things. Uh, but with New Japan, I feel like you do have to listen to like everything that is said, like everything that is said, and then really think about its implications on the match. Right, it makes you think a lot more. I feel like in a way that I it is in more a way intellectual that draws me for in sure. So much as a fan, yeah. Um, dude, the second match of that night though had to be one of your favorites. I, would I say. think it was uh, my favorite of the tournament. I can't think of one I liked more offhand. Uh, Makabe versus Ishii. <laughs> The Unchained Gorilla versus the Stone Pitbull. <laughs> it starts off with just a battle of the forearm blow from Makabe Ooh. versus the chop from Ishii. Just the stiffest forearms and chops you're going to see. Ishii slaps Makabe in the solar plexus until he collapses in the corner and then just still keeps slapping him. Absolutely no mercy. Just two big beef mountains. Oh my god. Uh, taking it to the limit in this like battle of the hosses. Battle of the hosses. So good. I wrote down that uh, Maccabee's ears have seen some shit. <laughs> they are. He's got the cauliflower. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then like it, it just keeps going. Uh, Ishi German suplexes Maccabee's neck into the turnbuckle. Like oh, that was brutal. Yeah. Togi looks like he's really hurt. Like he is really favoring his neck. Um, Ishii has Toki on his knees facing the turnbuckle and is just viciously striking his shoulders and neck with kicks. Um, back suplex on Makabe. He keeps favoring uh, the back of his neck. Either it was a botch or he is selling the shit out of it. Um, to- I think probably that. Yeah, because the, both of them are so like... I mean, I do think there are have been a, quite a few instances in Ishii matches where a strong style becomes too real. Uh that kind of sounds like a a good bit for a YouTube show. But uh, <laughs> there was a match with Kenta where Kenta clearly is concussed lat from last year with Ishii. Yes. Uh, so I think like a lot of like a lot of these guys that go hard on each other that does kind of take a turn for the worse sometimes. But I also think that uh, conversely, these are just two master wrestlers, master workers, and it could just all be you know part of the match. Yeah. Uh, it's it's so evenly matched, just such a brutal back and forth. They go for clotheslines to each other. They both block each other's clotheslines, and then Togi hits Ishii with a huge lariat. Uh, they clothesline each other three times again. Ishii goes down. Togi falls to his knees. He can't capitalize on it. Uh, Maccabee power bomb for two. Togi has Ishii on the turnbuckle. Goes for the German. Ishii elbows him. Repositions, headbutts Maccabe, who seems to go down, but then basically skins the cat, comes back up, and belly to belly suplexes Ishii onto the mat. 
It was my favorite sequence of the whole match. That that oh my god, yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, the the moment where uh it's that is that at the end of that is that the moment where like Ishii kind of like gets up yes. and Kevin Kelly screams that he looks like a zombie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he he does he does. It looks like Night of the Living Dead. This man just got like was killed as a corpse raising from the dead. Like and just hits I, him with I a clothesline. Completely line. agree. Yeah. That too is like another like yeah. Just I don't know, man. Yeah, New Japan is so good. Like moments like that where it's like. There was a bunch of it in this match too. It's just like so, so many great sequences. Yeah, there's like Maccabee threw down like a power bomb on Ishii at one point, where it just feels like I don't know he's like harnessing all of like the energy of the earth and just like slams him down so hard. And they're both such big guys that like I loved. Um, it's so fun to watch on yeah. on on Reddit. I had sent it to you, but there was a picture of Show versus Takagi. And show was at first it was just like a normal kind of I can't remember what they call those drawings, but it was just kind of a normal drawing of the two. And then it, another frame of animation hit, and it shows that Shingo is actually a dragon and has like a tail. And oh, uh, yeah. show uh-huh. has got like his uh, shock arrow, and he's like has all electricity all over him. It would be so cool to get like a New Japan. Like, like you had said, kind of versus like Mortal Kombat, but just kind of like a New Japan fighting game where, yeah, Togi Makabe can summon up all the energy all around him and like hit Ishii for like a huge power bomb, and like he is like a gorilla at a moment, you know. I think that would be re- dude. Yeah, I want like Capcom versus New Japan. Yes, I want like a WrestleMania the arcade game with like Undertaker like hitting people but with si- tombstones, very sick. but like way yeah. sicker. Like crazy animations, yeah. like Marvel versus Capcom, where it's like Shingo's like special, like a dra- like a thunderstorm comes on screen, right? A dragon comes out of the clouds, yes. breathes fire on the other person, yes, and it like mostly def- deflates their uh, health bar, but with like yeah, more I, like I, grapple moves. Yes, yeah, like not just punches and kicks, yeah. like suplexes yes. and torture racks. Someone and... hire us to executive direct this game. I mean, who like? Yeah, it seems like a lot of people would buy that game. Um, I certainly would. But yeah, this match was insane. Ishii hits the vertical drop brain buster for the three count and wins. Wow, is what I put. Yeah, insane. This is the first match, I think, since maybe the uh, Suzuki-Nagata match to make the A-Archive from, nice. from this Nice, that's tournament. not surprising to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. that... that... Such a good match. Then we had a uh, six man tag Ibushi, Tanahashi, Taguchi, big match Taguchi versus uh, I, I, I call him Dookie. What's his actual name? Is it Doki? 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 <laughs> uh, Doki Doki Panic, uh, Tai Chi, and ZSJ. Uh, Koda storms right to the ring and immediately starts to attack Suzuki Gun. Like, just not savor his entrance whatsoever. Loved that. I love when they do that. Yeah, like when they when that when like a face team comes out and gets to jump on the heels. Yeah. who typically would do that. Kevin Kelly continues to pull no punches with Tai Chi and continues to Fucking say that he's a despicable person. <laughs> like does not like him. Not the only really person that I've be seen heel. Uh, use heel tactics, although probably has used the most heel tactics in this tournament. Um, yes, definitely. I'd agree with that. But uh, yeah, uh, I love how there was a callback to an earlier New Japan uh, six-man tag from earlier in the tournament because uh, Zack Sabre Jr. continued to 
corkscrew the leg of Tanahashi while someone else was holding him. I yeah, it's we said this last week or the week before, but I love when Suzuki Goon does that, like the like multiple people doing a grapple while someone like kicks them yeah. or like you know, it's like these are like the the cohorts of clearly the cohorts of Minoru Suzuki. Uh, There's going to be a great blow off match between Saber and Tanahashi, and I can't wait to see that. Yes, they've feuded quite a lot. Like uh, I last year. There was a great, they had a great match at uh, the RevPro Showcase WrestleMania weekend where uh, the RevPro tag champs, Minoru Suzuki and ZSJ, faced off against Tanahashi and Will Ospreay. Nice. Very sick match. I still haven't watched the um, Ospreay versus ZSJ RevPro title match. Oh, that match was really good. Yeah, Yeah, I need to watch that. But yeah, this was a, this was a sick match yeah cool mix of people going at it tai chi is on the apron stepping on tana's head while zsj <laughs> stands on his knee zsj is just stomping him mercilessly <laughs> love it yeah yeah overall i feel like this match to me felt the most uh transitional like we have these guys here we need to ha- throw a tag throw on a tag match like i like i like that there was like callbacks to other moments uh but not a lot like not a lot of big implications excuse me for uh, for the tournament, with the exception of um, setting up Taichi and Ibushi, yeah, uh, which is w- where we what we will get in the final eight. Uh, and big match to Gooch gets the W here. Have you watched? Have you seen the uh, way to the Grandmaster promos yet? No, I don't know what that is. I was wondering because I know like sometimes you skip through we'll skip through the like commercial sort of intermission thing. Honestly, just on before... night six, just because uh, I watched the last couple of matches this morning, uh, I skipped even the six man tag on night six. Ah, okay. Which I'll even, yeah, well, I'll do. Even... So you won't have an opinion on this, I don't think. But there's a, I, I don't, I don't either. So this, <laughs> <laughs> neither of us has an opinion. So I'm just gonna lay some shit out right now. This will clearly go nowhere. Uh, there's, just been, there's been there's been a pro- promo uh, called uh, hyping someone called the Grandmaster called way and keep, it keeps saying way to the Grandmaster, and then shows like a field with someone running that's hyping up a surprise of some kind, and I'm interested to know who it is. Rusev. And I have no idea who it could be. It's Akira. Yeah, that was the only thought that I had. It's really. Akira Tozawa. And his ninja gang. <laughs> his gang of ninjas. <laughs> because Vince McMahon is hopelessly racist. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, then we got comedy gold. I'm going to let you take this Hiromu. one because you think it's comedy gold. And I'm just kind did of you Wait, you didn't it. like it? I liked it more than you did, probably. But still, I, I didn't think it was comedy gold. Why not? <laughs> I don't know. Um... <laughs> I, I, I find my my enjoyment of uh, Takahashi has been severely hampered by this. Like, what? I don't know. I just thought he was the coolest. I wanted him to win the tournament. I thought he was just the absolute coolest. And he just looks like a fool in this, in this tournament. <laughs> I know, like, New Japan is different. And I'm, I'm, I know I'm missing something, clearly. But I don't know. It's just a fun and funny storyline. I don't know, like not every like it's tied to, you know, Hiromu being a young lion and getting fucked up by Yano, having his hair cut, and a lot of times Yano 
is utilized in a way to give the wrestlers breaks. Like I, I can imagine like in my mind, that's the best explanation of Yano is one, the new Japan fans love Yano. Um, so I think he plays well with a crowd there plays off of a crowd really well. But then secondly, it's like, yeah, it just gives Hiromu doesn't have to do the crazy super junior bangers. He's been putting on, you know, he, he, over the last year and there's probably not a lot of moments that are going to bring the two of them together in singles competition ever like i feel like i have no that's intellectual problem with this match whatsoever oh, like the justification of the match you just yeah. didn't like i like that yano placed like scissors everywhere and like that felt dangerous to me also he was threw scissors across the room and that was fun i don't know that was funny to me uh, a lot of stuff with with uh clippers and stuff uh it was fun Takahashi just seems so cool, and now he just seems kind of like a like, I don't know. A he'll cow- seem a cool coward. again. No, he'll seem cool again. I know. Like I think it'll like it'll take one match to be like, dude, did you see that five star match you just had? No, you're uh, you're absolutely right. I'm just giving you but, my yeah, gut feeling. That's fine. Straight but, from the well, gut. So the one thing that when I was watching, where I was like, Mark is gonna hate this, was. He puts Yano in the elevator, and then the ref starts counting. But the ref wasn't counting until then. I don't know if you noticed that. I did notice that. Yep. I, and I know I they sometimes delay the count. They they delay the count because they don't want to have to end in a draw for a big tournaments like this, and for big decisions. But it did seem weird that the count started as soon as the elevator door closed. That was weird. The reason I didn't mind it is because it kind of. Just it justified the ending of the six man tag from a couple nights back, where um, Yano ties up Hiromu. Oh yeah, and then he gets counted out. And I was like, why would someone do that? Why wouldn't they try to at least win the match? But that match had no consequence. So then Hiromu did the same thing, put him in the elevator, but then actually went back and won the match. So at least I understood that, and I was like, okay, well that's a nice callback. Um, I feel like you and Kevin Kelly are at the same place because his last note on this match was out of all of the things I have seen, that is one of them. (laughs) (laughs) I did notice that. That is such a good line. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That this is all this stuff is skippable to me. I, I feel like there is actually a good story making Yano kind of scary to somebody because he's such a comedy character and actually having a little bit more psychological realism instead of Hiromi just getting on all fours barking like a dog basically but um, I also <laughs> understand that I prefer this 100% to the Viking Raiders uh, fighting ninjas and playing basketball well and like I and I could see like I don't know it's not like I'm trying to convince you to like that match in the way that like I was very passionate and am very passionately into the Ishimori Kanemaru match where I do feel like there maybe is something there that you might have missed. Sure. Whereas yeah. with this, I don't think you missed anything. Right. I completely agree. I think it's skippable. As an obsessive New Japan fan, I loved it and just didn't like that the the, the convenience of the count. But then the mat, the night ends with the historical matchup of two former IWGP heavyweight champions, Okada versus Nagata, in like a great professional wrestling. This was just awesome. I loved this. It's really fun to watch. Yeah. yeah I, I Overall, like, there are some, because we take notes for this podcast to remember different things we want to talk about. This is one of the matches where I just kind of watch, 
watched it because it was fun to fun to just see this historical sort of moment where it's not necessarily like a five-star work rate classic, but it's this important match between two people with so much history. Uh, yeah. And Kevin Kelly's telling you all of these important moments. They both won the New Japan Cup. They're both former IWGP champions. It's just such a great psychological fight. I also just love Okada matches. I love that there was no chance that Nagata was going to win this match. I think I'm pretty safe in saying that. No. Absolutely no chance. But when you're you. watching it, it feels like he could. Like, Okada, Okada totally. is another yeah, person. Like who, maybe he's going to lose. Yeah. Okada is another person who puts people over by making them very competitive in their matches. Um, his idea of being a champion, he knows he's going to keep winning these matches. He knows he's going to be the champion for the longest time. He doesn't need to pummel anyone in like five minutes or anything or like a two minute squash like uh, Lance Archer. He can have these long matches that go back and forth where he's vulnerable for a lot of it still look super strong and like in his victories like he's just the guy who ends up winning he's not the guy who necessarily dominates the match the entire time he just he can go the distance he has the stamina um he has the wherewithal to to still be in great shape at the end of the match and still be fast and strong and so he seems like a pure athlete yes like like an actual and he is but like in professional wrestling he seems the most he, I think maybe in the whole history of wrestling, I know that's a huge statement that to make, but like... Maybe yeah, the most well-rounded athlete. Yes. Like, seems like someone that could uh, compete in, like, the Olympics or something like that. Yes, like, just like with a, Mario. And I mean, I know there are, like, Jeff Cobb has competed with one. <laughs> Good callback. Uh, yeah, totally. And the, 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 this match, yeah, really, really fun to watch. Okada ultimately wins. And I love your point about him being able to make people look strong. He can look vulnerable, yes. but then come out looking like the dominant Rainmaker badass that he is. You know, he yes. can look vulnerable for like a whole match. Yes. But then the second he throws down that drop kick, you know it's on and you yes. know he's coming back. Like, yes. And then he can look, he can stand there looking strong, being like, I outlasted you. Like I right. out, and that's I out what it thought you, is. I out you, I out wrestled you. Like you may have been in control or thought you were in control, but I still like, it's a, it's a game of chess. Like he, and he always ends up on top for the most that's part. That's such a good way to put it too. Yeah. Like the way he, I don't know. Yeah. It is like a puzzle. Like the way he kind of like gets out, how, how he ends up hitting the rainmaker uh, and getting the win out of nowhere sometimes. And with this match, I thought it was really cool that he won with an old school sort of like, uh, you know, he the 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 path to winning was through a Cobra Clutch. Um, oh yeah, not, not something that I feel like in all the Okada matches I've seen. I, it's not something that I feel like he has done very much in terms of leading to a win. And just yeah, with this being sort of like an old school, you know, fight, really worked well. Totally. Um, uh, then brings us to night six: Bushi versus Yoshihashi. Uh, not a match that I thought I was going to enjoy as much as I did, but I thought this was an awesome match. Uh, Bushi's yeah. entrance gear was incredible. Had this like <laughs> uh, bl- black helmet with like a flashing red light in one of his eyes that had, he almost looked like Ant-Man, but it was all black and like with like these like spikes at the top. And he was wearing like a black skeleton suit coming out. It was yeah, he looked a really sick cool. outfit. He looked like, 
if Darby Allen was in Daft Punk. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. That's totally what it looked like. It's a good visual. <laughs> Yoshihashi, though, in comparison, kind of comes out to no fanfare. Just walks out with his staff, and that's that's about yep. it. Uh, and that that, but yeah. See, I I felt the same way you did, where like I went in, I went in thinking this could be a good match, but I don't know if I'm going to care that much about it. And then it was like a really really fun fun match to watch like yoshihashi really brought it in this match you know what i would compare this to uh would be the okada suzuki match that i watched that you showed me the one in the rain Mm -hmm. it is an example of how circumstance can just change a wrestling match on the fly and give it more gravitas so for the start of this match, it's pretty standard. Bushi's attacking Yoshihashi before the bell on the turnbuckle. Yoshihashi's laying in the forearms on Yushi, uh, on Bushi in the corner, dropping to his knees. Uh, Yoshihashi gets kicked by Bushi when he's running towards him. And his knee bends back the wrong way. Kevin Kelly talks about it. Oh, it's right. Brutal. Yeah, it's it's brutal. really, really brutal. Yes. And from that moment on, this is a match about Yoshihashi and will that leg Will that knee stand up for the rest of the match? And Can will that be it? the downfall? Yeah. Does yes. he overcome does he overcome that injury to win yeah. this match? Or um, does Bushi capitalize? There's this brutal moment like right after that where Yoshiashi's on the outside of the ring and Bushi hits him with a tope. I've never quite seen a tope land like this before. Usually the tope they kind of land almost like in an ideal situation, if I was topeing you right now, I'd want my arms to land on your shoulders. Right. And it would be sort of the upper body. Um, in this case, Bushi's head drills Yoshihashi like right in the solar plexus, like on like a downward angle, like a fucking missile. Just like <laughs> hits him. It looked so painful. And then Yoshihashi just like, just, yeah, just falls, staggers back into the, to the barricade. I, I kept, I watched it like four times. It, this like, match is what so I thought brutal. Bushi versus Yo was going to be like. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And we both didn't really like that match very much. Whereas, That's true. Yeah. This this match, quite a few big moments. I loved when Bushi went up for the MX. Yes. And then Yoshi throws a last ditch, just sort of like exhausted punch. Crushing and, Lariat. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, man. Which, this match made a Yoshihashi fan out of me. Yeah, just like that video Thomas sent us of uh, his diehard fans. He tries so hard. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be a diehard fan, but I was like, he tries so fucking hard. Like his knee like bent back and he <laughs> still hit him with that crazy lariat. Yeah, I I really like this match way more than I thought I would. I loved um, how the ref just absolutely never looks concerned. Like, I don't oh, know who right, this ref yeah. is, but he just has the most, he's like a, he, he looks like a gym class teacher who has really <laughs> given up. And so like, like, it could be Marty Asami. I think that might've been who the ref was for this. I, I can't I, remember off the top of my head. So we already know Yoshihashi's hurt after Bushi just like, there's no way he didn't like compress his neck a little bit by hitting, uh, <laughs> hitting Yoshihashi in the solar plexus with that with that tope and uh, the ref just comes over like kind of lackadaisically and is just like, uh, you all right. You all right. You are. Okay. Get in the fucking ring. <laughs> just like immediately gestures them to get back in the ring and just rolls, uh, just rolls in himself. I was like, man, they must tell them like, we're good. You know? Yeah. We're fine. Leave us alone. The second match of the night, Sonata versus show. 
Another awesome match. Another awesome yeah. fucking match. This you was know, probably Kelly... the best night. Okay, ahead, sorry. I'm very sorry. I was just going to say that this is probably the best night, like, quality-wise. And I, it's one that I, like, if you look at the card, I would say uh, that stack night, the la- the other night that had Ibushi from last week was mm-hmm. a, uh, a night that I thought would be the, like, the night. But, yeah, this, this was a really, really strong night all the way through, and... Sonata here was Kevin Kelly emphasized how much Sonata is a loser uh, at the start of this. He, but he also said that this was his tournament. Yes, like he's totally he's pushing him hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, well, I yeah I just thought it was interesting that he's bringing that up while also contrasting the sort of yeah that he he this is his tournament to win. He's the only person in Lij without a title. They're really emphasizing the. Uh, the stakes, Lij, the stakes, and Lij holding all of the belts right now. Uh, yeah, it's that, and this match was really cool. We mentioned this before, but Show's music is so cool. One of my favorites. He's got that super chip tune. Yeah, boss music. Yes, very cool. And this match was great. Uh, there's a, a, a throughout it. I another one that I kind of just enjoyed watching. And, Agreed. you know, I started thinking about it. Like, imagine, I don't know. Yeah, it's just, like, interesting to see someone like Show, who is, like, a tertiary tag team person, dominating in a singles match like this. It's really cool. Uh, well, also, Show is a light heavyweight and is Sonata heavyweight? Yes. So, yeah. So yeah. That, and uh, I think it might not have been mentioned in this match, but I know at some point Kevin Kelly talks about how this is, like, one of the few tournaments where we get those kind of matchups. Like, the never open, the open weight belt is that also but uh usually throughout the year that's where the sort of super juniors and heavyweights fight each other is a never belt but um yeah yeah it, it leads to some really cool matchups here I, I i just noted i only have like two notes one of them was that uh sonata's sitting on the apron outside the ring and then show hits the ropes and hits him with a huge crusher drop kick and sonata just like flies off onto oh, the ground dude yeah that moment's sick but then Sonata gets his revenge later in the match because Sho is standing on the apron outside and Sonata from like the bottom drop kicks onto the apron and hits Sho's knees and then he just like falls down. And then my next note was just New Japan is so fucking good. <laughs> like this, just the quality of these matches, they were all just B plus, A minus, B plus, A minus. I yeah. did skip... The six-man tag, Hiromu, Naito, Shingo versus Yoda. Oh, I, I loved this Ishii. match. Yeah, Yoda. I'm going to go back Ishii and watch Yano. it. It's a good, like, I oh, just even the intro, like, if you're wondering, like, if you, you should go back and watch it because of your, what you said about Hiromu today, I think. Yes, like, that's a great Just point. even seeing their entrance, like, Hiromu and Shingo both come out with their belts. Naito comes out. They're all standing at the entrance together. And all three of those people. Look, three men, four belts. Looks so cool. Five belts. Uh, Shingo has two belts. Naito has two belts. And Hiromu has one belt. I forgot uh, that Shingo also had the... He had the Never Trios. Yeah. yeah. And the ne- he's the Never Champion and Never Trios. But just seeing that visual is really cool. And then throughout it, I would say this match has the best tag cooperation between anybody like it's like lij's version of suzuki goon throwing down grapple like group grapples on one person they do these like quick tags back and forth where like 
they completely work over Yota Suji and just do these like very quick tags back and forth where they'll tag in, tag Shingo and Naito go back and forth, tagging in, tagging out. At the start of this match, Hiromu will be totally redeemed for you in that he starts yelling in Ishii's face and is like screaming at him. And it's like, oh yeah, Hiromu was afraid of Yano, but he's... I know that we're at the start of a longer story that we're telling of like Takashi going through the tournament. Probably not going to win, but I think it's going to make it at least to the final four, if not the final two. Well, and I think just in terms of Hiromu is the ticking time bomb and he sort of, you know, he's, he is like an artist in real life and like, you know, does a lot of like, I think it's just that kind of like contrast between being terrified of Yano, but then in the face of Ishii is like, I don't, I'm going to fuck you up in our match. (laughs) I think it's just to sell how like uh, volatile he is and how sort of like uh, brave he really is, despite his terror of Yano. But yeah, it, it's a great match. And then I'm going to go back and watch it because you gave it an A. So it's probably going to make it into the A archive. So I'm going to have yeah. to go back and watch it. Ultimately uh, ends with Hiromu tapping Yotasuji with the full Boston Crab, which is also really cool just to throw back to that alone, where the Boston Crab is the finisher of the Young Lions. Hiromu was a Young Lion. He tapped a Young Lion with the Young Lion finisher. So very yes. cool. Ibushi versus Tai Chi. I'm interested. What did you think of this? Tai Chi should learn the words to that fucking song that he's singing because he <laughs> never once at any point looks like he is singing the song into the microphone. And I understand that it doesn't matter when he's like right up, like holding it closer to his face, but the camera is like just next to him, like a side view of him with the microphone and his lips are not moving or they are, but like barely. And it's just, I I hate it. I hate that so much. That's the biggest heel thing he does to me. (laughs) It's just not singing that goddamn song. As much as you hated that, what I loved about this match, this, we've been talking about Cody's overbooking and interference. This to me is a perfect example of how to use outside interference in like a really effective way. Ibushi brings Tana. Kevin Kelly gets so excited to see Tana at ringside and Tana... (laughs) It's so cool. Just at the start, he's like whooping ZSJ's ass to the side of the ring. Yes. Like, it's, I it's loved, a great... I loved all that Great stuff. outside interference. And also building up a tag title feud, too, where uh, Dangerous Techers, Tai Chi, and ZSJ will take on the Golden Ace. Oh, Ibushi, and I Tanahashi. didn't know that was a tag team, Tai Chi and ZSJ. That's awesome. Yeah. What, what are they called again? The Dangerous Techers. I don't know what the fuck that means, but that's awesome. I've never questioned it either. It sounds cool. <laughs> I don't question it anymore. All right, cool. Uh, I genuinely did not know who was going over here, uh, though I did assume because Abushi is uh, the tag champ that that Tai Chi was probably going to win and kind of continue his heel tactics. But yeah, the heel having heel tactics makes sense, like more so than than Cody, who should be a dominant champion. Um, but uh, Tai Chi also looks strong as hell in this match as well yes. as cheating. And he always I, does. That's why that's the point. It's like, he doesn't even really need to cheat because he's really good. Right. Yeah. He, but then he does. And then that's why he's winning. I, yeah. you know, after this match, I think the winner of this tournament is either going to be Tai Chi or Sonata. Is Tai Chi continuing to go on this tournament going to break your bracket at any point? Do you think he's going to beat, does he fight Okada at some point? I think he already broke my bracket ibushi was who i had winning that i think okay let me double check 
I got the bracket right here. Yeah, I had Ibushi winning that. Send the belt um, to Taichi for breaking your bracket. Yeah, but uh, I like I just think I was thinking like for Dominion booking, and long term storytelling implications, Naito should should not lose the double belts right now. And we talked about this. I mentioned this last week where it's like, well, if he's defending both belts, I don't think he's gonna lose them. And I don't think, and maybe Sonata losing is fine too, because it's like, I'm the leader of this faction, you lost to me, maybe you'll get a rematch in the future, but now you're just part of LIJ still, fuck off to Sonata. I don't think that that, maybe that won't happen and he'll just break off and be a single star. Conversely, I could definitely, after this match and the way Tai Chi was booked, very strong wrestling wise, as you pointed out. And secondly, all of the different heel tactics he's using too. So it's like, how do you overcome someone who has hundreds of gimmicks and ZSJ and is a good wrestler. So and a great singer and yeah. yeah. Uh, incredible, incredible pipes on that guy. But uh, yeah, I, I could very much see a Tai Chi Naito title defense where Naito wins. Um, and Tai Chi has had moments of like, I think it makes, it makes total sense. I loved that this ended. He he has not used the iron glove. What what did you think of the iron glove before I say anything about it? Um, I thought it was looked like the power glove from the, oh, the, from the power NES. Glove? Yeah, uh, he was gifted that from Itzka Itzka, uh, who was like this wild performer who retired at the beginning of 2019. He was the last performer in Japan that I feel like brought like old school uh, wing fmw energy where like he was booked as kind of like this like uncaged animal where he used that power glove constantly he bit people's heads you just called it a power glove (laughs) (laughs) that's what it is i guess now uh he uses the power glove he bites people he runs through the crowd and terrifies fans like he brought like a very horror plays duck hunt energy (laughs) yeah gets a lot of inspiration from uh Double Dragon, but Fred anyways, Savage and the Wizard. Yeah, man, that movie is boring. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I wanted to like it more than I did. Uh, yeah, he uses the Iron Glove from Miska uh, and Black Mephisto for the win. I wrote, "Holy fuck, Tai Chi wins for the three count." I loved this match and was completely lost in it. Like, I did not know who was going to win. I, I, I put here genuinely don't know who's going over. Like either yeah. one made sense to me. Like Coda is just like the stalwart NJ, NJPW wrestler and Taichi is like someone who could maybe use. I just love the idea of the brackets ending up with kind of people who haven't had those big wins versus people who have established wrestlers. Yeah, like Ibushi is established as the top. He's one of the top NJPW stars. Yeah, he would be in like the top is more five. of a, in a transitional place yeah. at this moment. Uh, maybe sort of hovering around the same place as people like Shingo, ZSJ, not necessarily like the pillars of New Japan, but a big part of the promotion. Yep. Yeah. And uh, so then Tai Chi is going to go on to fight Sonata. And that's why I don't know now who. Oh, is this going is going to win. be the, bra- the bracket breaker, truly. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it'll be Tai Chi versus Sonata in the finals. And uh evil who does evil face semifinals semifinals evil versus yoshihashi uh thanks to evil's win against goto i imagine you really like this match also yeah this was one like you said that i just watched 
I didn't take a lot of notes. Every I thought every match on this that I watched was 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 really good. Um, I, I, the only thing I noted was that it also had a ref being knocked out spot, and I don't know if I like ref spots like that in two back to back matches. Oh, I but to me, I the way Kevin Kelly sold that though, I was questioning whether or not that actually. Because did they do anything illegal after the ref got knocked out? I can't remember actually. Oh, you think it might have been a mistake? That because the way Kevin Kelly talked about it, I mean, it it's just a good way of selling it in a different way if he this was planned. But the way Kevin Kelly talked about it, it seemed like it was a genuine accident. Right. He was like, I don't know if that's what he meant to do or not. Yeah. And like, oh, I hope the ref is okay because it didn't. And then I and I remember thinking at the time, okay, if this leads to like a weapon being used. Or some kind of outside interference, then that was intentional. But I don't think anything happened. No low blows or any sort of like, yeah, sort of heel tactics like that. Uh, I love both of these characters so much. Evil with his face paint and his ponytail. Goto the samurai. Uh, I was happy for either of these people to go over. Uh, I'm glad that Evil won though, because uh, Goto has what did we say? He's won three of these New Japan Cups. Yeah, he has so many accolades, and just I really want to see Evil versus Sonata, which this yes. will get us Evil versus Sonata. To be honest, so, through a lot of this match too, like watching it, I was research, I was like reading and looking up a lot about the, like the never open weight belt, and just it's cool to think to see in this match Evil and Goto, like kind of just two people who are contenders for that belt, uh, going at it and. Yeah, I don't know. I just overall really, really enjoyed it. Huge Death Valley driver towards the end of the match. Huge clothesline. Another match where it's like, it's like two big ass dudes just going, going hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Another great night. This was a fantastic quarterfinals. I genuinely cannot wait to see the rest of the matches in this tournament. Ishii versus Hiromu. Who you have yep. in that? Ishii versus Hiromu. Uh, Hiromu. I have Hiromu also. O- Okada versus Ishimori. Uh, Okada. Yeah, I have Okada. Tai Chi versus Sonata. This is the wild card match, I will say. The, I don't know. I have Sonata. Skip that one and go to the next one. Well, we. I think I know the winner of this. I'll be surprised if it's Evil versus Yoshihashi. Okay, so Evil. Okay, then I will probably take uh, Sonata. It's, I think, yeah, I, I feel like it's going to be Sonata just in terms of cementing that descent from LIJ and building towards him breaking off and on his own. So the finals are happening now? The, Sorry, the, well, the semifinals. Oh, the, the semifinals have happened. Yeah, that's because uh, they were on July 3rd, which is the day we're recording this July 3rd in, in the States cool. and in Canada. So they're probably posted now, um, at least the Japanese commentaries. Yeah, I'm going to wait for now. the English ones. I trust that Thomas won't give it away, but... Uh, yeah, I, I cannot wait to see if our predictions come true. Same. So, John, what did you think of my classic match recommendation? Oh, my God. One of my new favorite matches of all time. Without a doubt, in my top five now. Can't wow. go down and rank them right now, but for sure, with like I I love this match. I went back and rewatched parts of it because I liked it so much. And yeah, it's just everything that I love about wrestling in a single in a single match. We're talking about Samoa Joe versus Kenta Kobashi in Ring of Honor in 2005, and I'm so happy you asked me to watch this match. 
I love Samoa Joe. He's one of my favorite performers in WWE. I wish that he won the Battle of the Titans at SummerSlam like four years ago and would like to see him do more. So it's like, it feels so good to see him. And this is all, I don't know. I'm not familiar with Joe's work prior to him being in WWE, really, to be honest. So to go back and watch him in this match was insane. And right at the start, the room goes dark and Joe's music thunders through the arena. You can audibly hear someone in the crowd scream, oh my God, as Joe's music begins fizzling through the PA system. They start chanting Joe in unison as his music continues to crackle through the loudspeakers. Joe blasts through the curtain, towel around his neck, and the crowd goes apeshit. He stomps his way to the ring along to the cadence of his entrance music. He nods along with the crowd as they continue to chant the name of the true beast incarnate, Samoa Joe. There's a heavy ECW vibe to this right at the start. The blaring bass is reminiscent of New Jack's entrance in the late 1990s, but this is not the 1990s, and this isn't Extreme Championship Wrestling. He enters the ring and begins to stomp around the squared circle like a dominant predator marking his territory. Samoa Joe is ready to throw down with a legendary Kenta Kobashi. The house lights come up and the crowd quiets for a few seconds. They collectively remember who is incoming, and the excitement for Joe wears off, and they begin to chant Kobashi in a booming unison. You can feel the walls of the room closing in as the space is filled with the voices of screaming wrestling fans. Two absolute mountains of Samoan and Japanese beef are about to clash. Kenta makes his way to the ring as the announcer introduces both wrestlers. As Kobashi's name is announced, the frame is filled with streamers in respect to the legend of all Japan. The crowd somehow gets even louder. Kobashi peers out into the sea of screaming people with a solemn and stern face. He's here to fight and he isn't interested in pandering. Kenta stretches himself on the ropes and then saunters to the center of the ring, his hand outstretched to the Samoan monster known as Joe. Joe accepts the coat of honor and gives him a nod and an angry look that would melt most men. The camera pans out as the two stand in their corners. The bell rings and they begin to circle the ring. Kenta and Joe keep attempting to lock up, but Joe defiantly kicks Kobashi. Joe pins him against the ropes and slaps one of the most terrifying wrestlers to ever enter the squared circle, right square in the face. They lock up again, but this time Kenta pins Joe in the corner and throws down a heavy chop that could crumble a marble statue to dust. The crowd begins chanting, this is awesome, as Joe retaliates with an explosive suplex. Joe then staggers Kenta to the ground and knocks him to the outside. He winds up for a baseball slide, then follows with a colossal suicide dive to the outside. The crowd begins screaming Joe as he gives them a knowing glance. Back in the ring, Kenta and Joe begin to trade blows back and forth, and while Kobashi brings thunderous chops to Joe, they are no match for the Samoan submission machine's vicious kicks and grappling combinations. Joe takes the fight back to the outside as the crowd chants ROH. He continues to pummel Kobashi with a sequence of high-energy strikes and high-flying spots. Kobashi regains control of the match on the outside as he screams and signals for a chop that knocks Joe up over the barricade and into the crowd. Kobashi has the face of a killer. He stares off into the crowd as they chant his name in unison. The first big move from Kobashi comes at about 13 minutes into this match. He throws down a DDT on Joe on the outside, and as the crowd chants, I can't see shit, he rolls Joe's lifeless body back into the ring. Kobashi has the upper hand now as he runs Joe around the ring and chops the life out of him. It's almost as if you could see Joe's spirit leaving his body with each strike. 
Kobashi goes for a suplex but can't get Joe up. Joe counters with a suplex of his own, and the two stagger to their feet. Kobashi meets Joe with a series of chops, and Joe responds with kicks and chops of his own. These two are just beating the living shit out of each other with every single inch of energy and adrenaline that they can harness. The crowd chants as Kobashi's spirit meter begins to fill and Joe's depletes. Kobashi stretches Joe, throws down a chop, and goes for his first cover. It's only a two count and Joe starts to fight back. He knocks Kobashi to the ground and runs to the ropes to throw down a senton. He glides through the air as his back makes contact with Kobashi's torso. Classic Samoa Joe. Joe continues on the offense with an absolutely insane sequence of moves that includes a spinning buckle bomb, a huge avalanche brain buster where he walks Kobashi around the ring before dropping him to the mat, and a colossal power bomb that Joe rolled over into a submission. The crowd is screaming and begging Kobashi not to tap, but Joe holds on to him strong. Kobashi is worn down, but he makes it to the rope for a break. Both men roll to their respective corners for a beat, and they rush to the center of the ring, and Kobashi throws down a belly-to-belly suplex on all 300 pounds of Samoan beef that is Joe. Kobashi has the upper hand now as he lays what looks like hundreds of strikes upon Joe's chest. The crowd's hands clap in tandem as Kobashi's hands clap and break down the skin on Joe's chest. The back and forth in this match is absolutely incredible. Kobashi pulls Joe to the center of the ring and throws down a colossal belly-to-belly suplex and goes for the pinfall. Joe grabs the rope just before the ref counts three. Kenta clearly has the upper hand now as he towers over Joe while Joe flops around on the ground like a wounded animal. The crowd's screams continue to fill the space and wrap around these two titans. Kenta stands over Joe, fists claps, and lets out a blood-curdling scream. Joe tries to fight back, but Kenta has too much power. Kobashi throws down a sequence of chops that stagger Joe. He then runs for the ropes and throws down an axe bomber that crumbles Joe into pieces. Kenta gets the three count as he pins what's left of Joe's body for the win. The crowd goes back and forth between chanting Arigato and Match of the Year as highlights are shown on screen. Kenta props Joe's body up as the two embrace and raise their hands together. The video ends with Samoa Joe cutting a promo, proclaiming, I gave it all, I gave it my all. For the sport, I love. Here's to you, Kobashi. Incredible sequence of mat- moves. It, like not many moves done in this match. Just like oh, the dude, hardest this is a ma- chops ever. It was a masterpiece. I, that was a great recap um, of probably the hardest hoss off I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, it's it's very a lot of the the uh, Makabe Ishi match very reminiscent of totally. This match here very much in the um, style i didn't understand how joe was not covering up his chest when uh kenta was hitting him like a hundred oh, times in the corner like yeah towards just the imagine getting hit once like that um right oh man at one point kenta is basically he's chopping joe so high on the chest that he's he looks like he's hitting him in the throat yeah yeah there's a lot of moments in this where it's like truly true like contact strong style we're fucking each other up and yes we agreed to do this and we're doing it this is this is strong style yeah uh i am so happy to have seen the match i actually now that i've reread that probably i'm gonna rewatch this match again this weekend uh just thinking about the the visuals and vignettes of early ring of honor it's something that i didn't watch any of so and we've watched uh in a supercard with thomas kenta versus Daniel Bryan, which similarly was an incredible match. Just it's like 
the wrestling of New Japan combined with the crowd of ECW and then featuring all of these wrestlers that we know and love in present day. It's great. Yeah. I got, I I got some more for you coming down the line as well. I can't wait. My, my match for you, you know, in picking this match, I hope it's okay that I picked, I actually didn't even consider the fact that I picked another Suzuki match. That's okay. Uh, I, I, I was thinking about double dipping on, uh, Shawn Michaels as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, this is, yeah, we're doing it like every other, we're, our recommendations come every other week too. So I guess it's not that big of a deal, not but at all. this match was talked about, I think on the second or third episode of the show when Timothy Thatcher and Matt Riddle did their NXT fight pit match, I mentioned that it seemed like Pancrase. a nod to Pancrase. Yeah. So this is a match that took place on May 13th, 1995 at the event Eyes of Beast 4. Ken nice. Shamrock faces Minoru Suzuki. And it's I'm so excited. Sick. That I, sounds I, awesome. I can't wait for you to watch it. It's I, I can't love wait this match. Very, very cool visuals and I know, love the Shamrock. It's, it's great. And yeah, seeing seeing someone that we know and love uh from the Attitude era versus someone that we love now yeah it's like uh it's crazy and it's cool to see like it just makes sense that ken shamrock was booked as such an absolute monster in wwe at least in terms of how scary he seemed uh and yeah this that mat this match really really sells it uh i just forgot to mention i just want to say this again did you know that that match joe versus kobashi happened less than a month after the three-way dance with Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles. Oh my God. No, that we need to book a Joe super card from that time. Yeah. Just like a one, like 365 days in the life of Joe. Then yeah, we need, we need to do that for sure. That That can come after the, the Osprey and Nido super cards. That would be a hot cup of Joe. (laughs) A damn fine cup of coffee. That's a, a very niche podcast cup of Joe. We both review coffee and watch Samoa Joe matches. (laughs) We've managed to make our niche. <laughs> Olivia Wilde is going to be even more upset than she was when she was initially booked I for the program. We watch any wrestling? No, it's only Samoa Joe matches. Dude, next week we'll be talking about GCW, the backyard, the New Japan Cup semifinals, semifinals, Fighter Fest two. What an absolutely stacked week of wrestling we have to look forward to. Can't wait. Check us out at TortureRack.com. Pre-orders, I think, will be closed by the time this airs, but I'm going to put put a second sort of like wave of pre-orders up in the coming weeks. Thanks again to everyone that's ordered the book. This has been another episode of the Torture Rack podcast. You can follow my co-host, John F. Malta, at John F. Malta on Instagram and all social media. You can follow me at Waste of Taste on Instagram. You can follow us at TortureRact on Instagram. And we'll see you next week for some more wrestling.